0: Good morning. And welcome to this gathering of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Good to see all of you this morning. Welcome. And for any visitors we have this morning, again, welcome. We're glad that you are here. Um, I am one of the elders here at Westminster. My name is Trey O'Brien, in case you don't know me. Uh, and if there's anything that we can do to, uh, to serve you, uh, any ways we can pray for you, uh, catch me. Catch me after worship. And, uh, and let us know how we can do that very thing. Um, if you will, if you've got a bulletin, uh, you can take a peek at a few things regarding our announcements. Uh, one thing that uh, I don't see, but I definitely want to make mention of, many of you are aware of a certain water day that's been planned for some time uh, and that is going to be outside, and it appears as though it is going to indeed be a water day because they are predicting significant rain this afternoon. And alas, we're going to postpone our water day, unfortunately. Some of you have seen the email, but in case you haven't, you know that uh, we're not going to have it this Sunday at least. We'll probably look to postpone that uh, in the near future. So we'll be looking for announcements about that in the coming weeks. Um, so we're not going to have that. Uh, another thing I want to mention is immediately after worship, Gene Stansel is going to come up and uh, going to present for a few minutes on our recent denomination's General Assembly. Some very important topics being wrestled with and prayed over and talked about and decided upon. And we need to hear about that. We need to know what's going on in our denomination. We need to know how we can pray for our denomination. And so very grateful, thank you, Gene, for coming up. Uh, After worship, there might even be an opportunity for a little Q and A. uh, just be aware of that, and if you will, as soon as worship is over, if you'll just hang tight. That would be super. A couple other announcements. Uh, just be aware of the fact that our, um, our high school youth, they are heading out first thing in the morning, 6 a.m., um, uh, out of Greenwood, headed for Florida, for uh, RYM. And so as you think about our high school this week, pray for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in their lives, Uh, And not just our kids, but all of the kids that are there, bringing them to see their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, So pray for them and pray for their safe travel as well. Uh, Also, too, you see that our mission of the month is the African Bible College. We have, um, they've been a a foreign uh, missionary of ours for a long time. And uh, be in prayer for them. The Lord is doing great things. He's doing great things through African Bible College. And so pray for those new leaders and preachers and teachers that the Lord would uh, magnify himself and fill up his kingdom. We have brethren all over the world. Praise the Lord. Um, I think that's it. Any other announcements? Anybody have anything? This is an open. Say again. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Brian. Yes. All right. Also, yeah, I saw that, and I was thinking maybe we will announce it next Sunday, but let's get a week ahead. Uh, the Delta Stars, yes, meeting uh, for their monthly luncheon next Sunday. And so uh, be in preparation for that. I would imagine they can contact you, Brian, if there's any questions or what to bring or whatnot. So, yes, Delta Stars uh, next Sunday in the Fellowship Hall after Sunday school. So, All right. If there's nothing else, please prepare your hearts for worship. You'll see your, uh, the call to worship there in, uh, in the bulletin, and then uh, followed, it'll be hymn uh, number 457, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. stand for the call to worship. And as you're standing, I was reminded that I did forget one announcement, and that is the reason why the B team is even here today is that Richard uh, is out of town, and he actually took Jude on his first camping trip. And so super fun there. He's with his brothers and Jude, and they've had a great time. And so uh, uh, I just thought that was awesome. Wanted to make certain you were aware of that. Our call to worship this morning comes from Isaiah 1, Psalm 32, and Amos 5. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Blessed Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is is (coughs) covered. Thus says the Lord, seek me and live.
1: For here here we have no lasting city,
0: but we we seek the city that is to come. come. Let's remain standing and sing our first congregational hymn, number 457, Come Thy Fount of Every Blessing. Father, we come before you. You are the fount of every blessing. And we pray, O oh God, would you tune our hearts to sing of your grace, to honor you in prayer that our hearts would be engaged, that our minds would be locked in, that we would know the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection for sinners. For we are sinners, Lord, If we are honest, we know ourselves to be the ones who are prone to wander. Lord, we even feel it. We are prone to leave the God that we love. And yet, O God, your promises are rich for those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You take our hearts and you seal them. You seal them for your courts above. And we rejoice and look forward to that day in which the Lord Jesus Christ will return I pray that you would move us to repentance, to faith, and to joy in our Savior and in the King who is to come. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning.
2: Uh, today's Old Testament reading is Isaiah forty-four six through twenty. Uh, In this passage, God, through Isaiah, declares that he's the only God and challenges other gods to prophesy. Uh, Starting in verse 9, the passage turns to those who make idols, which was prevalent in those days in surrounding countries. Uh, The folly of making and worshiping idols is pointed out, and the fact that those that make them are making something that's less powerful or capable than the person who created them. So let us read together. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last. Beside me there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid, have I not told you from of old and declared it and you are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put in shame. Who fashions a God or cast an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man, with the beauty of a man, to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. He also makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts, so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted meat, and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand?
0: Please stand again with me, if you will, for our next hymn, Build Your Kingdom Here.
3: us as we come each Sunday and hear the sermons of of God's Word, and hear the Old Testament, the New Testament, and then the preaching of the Word and how we understand. Uh, I learned a good lesson today that I've seen before. A lady that I work with, husband, uh, was diagnosed with COVID, so he went to the doctor, and what did they find? they found lung cancer. If he had not had COVID, they would never have found it. So out of adversity, there comes triumph if we just listen to God. So it's always a good lesson to see God at work. And I see God at work in our young ladies as they sing with us today. This is our church. This is our growth of our church. Our young ladies are the future of our church and the young men too. So let's give them a hand because they're doing a great job. But now let's turn our hearts to, to God and what He would tell us in our New Testament this morning. Uh, it's from Romans 1, 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal gods for images res- resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God is in our hearts by His spirit. Christ is in our hearts by his similar spirit our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. And we thank you that you fill us with your Spirit to nourish our own spirits. That we can realize that you are God and what you do for us each and every day. And Lord, we do thank you for the youth of our church. We thank you for the word that you bring in, in, to us each day. And we thank you for this nation that we live in, that we can come and worship you free of restraints. Lord, there's a lot going on in our nation that we don't agree with, but we know that you are sovereign, you are in control. And as we just um, be, build, build your kingdom here, Show your mighty hand. Do heal the streets and our land. Do set our church on fire. Do win this nation back for you. Uh, do change the atmosphere. Of being, build your kingdom here, we pray. Lord, even if you start in Greenwood, Mississippi, or wherever, Lord, we pray that you would uh, cause repentance, renewal, revival, just as... John the baptizer said, uh, repent, a change is coming, the Lord is, is coming. So, Lord, I pray that you would build your kingdom here. Lord, we pray for those who are ill or hurting, who have special needs. You know each and every one of them. Uh, we pray for those who are expectant mothers uh, and pray for those unborn children, that you would, you would be with them, protect both mother and child. Lord, we uh, pray for Josh this morning as he leads us in worship, that you would use him as, as your instrument, that you would use him to speak the wisdom of your words as, you bring, as he brings them to us. Lord, uh, we pray for again, as always, that you would watch over us, guide us, protect us, and be with us as we go through this day and this week and bring us back uh, uh, together again as a church family. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.
0: It's been said before that a mark of a Christian is one with calloused knees. Calloused knees because we are in prayer because we understand our need. We understand our need for the gospel, we understand our need for the Lord. Every heartbeat every breath that we enjoy and are blessed by. is a gift from God, and we need His mercies upon us. But we also need forgiveness. We need forgiveness from our sin. And so, as we enter into the confession of sin, consider that, consider the fact that our posture should be one of confession. Being free to be honest before God to say, I am the the sinner that the Bible talks about. And yet, there's great mercy for those who come to him in humility and, and be honest and confess. So let's do that together in our confession of sin this morning. Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done and we have done what we ought not to have done. We thank you that you never allow us comfort when we are not walking with you. When we refuse to confess our sins, you give us an inward ache Help us to see the misery of unconfessed sin as a grace. It is a sign of being your child. Lord, lead us to repentance. And may we receive your mercy and forgiveness in Christ. And we confess our sin that we might be received once again by the Lord. And yet, in his receiving us, he gives us great Assurances. So, O oh church, hear the assurance of pardon from Isaiah 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Stand with me again, if you will, for our next hymn. Before the throne of God above. <laughs>
2: fiscal year in the church. and want to compliment the congregation on their generous giving throughout the year. We're above budget. And want to encourage you to continue with your giving. So please pray with me. Most gracious Heavenly Father, you're a generous God, a giving God, and you have provided abundantly for the congregation in this church. Uh, today we return a portion of what you have given us to you as our tithes and offerings. Guide us in our use of these tithes and offerings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
4: You can head to Little Worship, but don't run, Elijah. (laughs) He is fast when it comes time to go to Little Worship. Not so much when he's cleaning his room. Um, If you would turn with me to, to 1 Kings chapter 18, and I'll set up the context a little bit. If you were with us last time, you know... 1 um, Kings 17 is what we went through and we saw the arrival of the prophet Isaiah, I mean uh, Elijah. And this was coming in a time of the history of Israel where the kingdom was, was divided and King Ahab was the most wicked king in the history of Israel. And so this was a, a, a pretty bleak time for the history of God's people. And Elijah came forth and he... Uh, he was calling them to repent. And he approached the king Ahab, and he told him that it wasn't going to rain until he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord brought rain. It wasn't going to rain until he said so, because they'd been worshiping Baal, a storm god that they thought would bring them rain. They worshiped many other things, but Baal specifically in this passage. And so Elijah approached Ahab, and then we know that the Lord took Elijah away, and we saw him provide supernaturally by these ravens and he provided through uh, this, this widow. And we also saw that the Lord saved an idol-worshiping down-and-out widow and raised her son back up from the dead. And so that's what we saw last chapter. And that was preparing Elijah uh, for, for where we, we're coming today in 1 Kings 18. And we're going to start in verse 17 and read through verse 40. Your bulletin says 46, but we're going to go 17 through 40. And I would encourage you to go back and read the first 16 verses when you have time, because um, in, in that portion you meet Obadiah, who was a servant of Ahab, yet he feared the Lord greatly. And in a time where it would have been easy to compromise, he didn't. And he hid some of the prophets of God um, when Jezebel, Ahab's wife, was slaughtering them. And so you, you read about Obadiah, and he's just a good example of faithfulness in a difficult time. But we're not going to read that. We're going we're to jump in in verse 17. So 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17, verses 17 through 40. So the Lord has summoned Elijah to, to go to Ahab once again. And it says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, And let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on on the wood and put no fire on it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on wood and put no fire on it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire on it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered and they limped around the altar they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud, uh, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention." Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as, as would contain two seas of seed, And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill up four four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and lifted up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook, Kishon and slaughtered them there. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we need your help this morning. I need your help. Please meet us today by the power of your Spirit. Open up eyes and ears. Help us to behold your glory. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. And help us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So we see that Elijah... He was a man on a mission. He was devoted to God and to God's purposes. He was set apart by God to go and to call this, this nation to repentance. And here we see him going head to head with Ahab, the most wicked man, I would say, in the history of Israel. There's no more seclusion for Elijah, there's no more rest in the widow's home. This is the moment for which God had been preparing him. So we see in the passage when Ahab saw Elijah coming, he said, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And think of the irony here. You would think that after all that had come to fruition, all that Elijah told them would happen regarding the drought, you would think that the king and the people would be humbled. And when they saw the prophet coming, that they would hit their knees and say, Elijah, please cry out to God. But here's, here's Ahab blame shifting, saying, you're the troubler of Israel. But uh, Elijah wasn't having any of it. He, he, he turned it back on him, right? He turned it back on him and said, No, Ahab, you are the troubler of Israel. You and your fathers, because you have not walked in the commandments of the Lord, and they had led other people astray. But this is typically what happens when um, people meet a minister of righteousness. It's easy to blame shift and turn it, turn it on them and call the minister of righteousness a troubler because heaven forbid anyone call out sin. Heaven forbid anyone stand for godliness. That's what Elijah was doing. And we see Ahab blame shifting. But Elijah had come to him to settle the score once and for all to show who was the true and living God. So he wanted the king to gather up all the people of Israel. Remember, they had been partaking in this idol worship. Gather them all to Mount Carmel and bring all the false gods' prophets. Bring them there. This was a place, Mount Carmel was a place where everyone could fit and everyone could see this great showdown. And this is the big question Is the Lord God or is he not? You know, this was a question for the Israelites in this time, and it's a question for us today that we have to answer. Is the Lord God, or is he not? See, in verse 21, Elijah asks the people, he says, how long are you going to go on limping between these positions or these two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And so with this question in mind, I want to look at two main points. I want to look at the insanity of idolatry, the insanity of engaging in idolatry. Apart from the fact that it's a clear violation of of the Lord's commandments, we're going to look at the insanity of engaging in idolatry because it only takes life from us. Idolatry takes life from you. And then we're going to look at the vitality of the Lord and His willingness to give life. You know, I think it it was Einstein who said this. I I could be wrong, but I've heard it about insanity. You know, doing the same thing over and over and, and, and yet expecting a different result. And that's what we see clearly in the life of Israel. And we see it in our own lives too. You think about it. Three years had gone by. They had been in a drought, a severe drought to where there was a famine for three years. And yet they continued to sacrifice to Baal and to worship Baal. And it wasn't the first time that Israel had plunged into idol worship. This has been going on from from the beginning, and it's still going on today. Now Israel had not wholly given up on the Lord. They wanted a little bit of Yahweh, a little bit of God, the one true God, and a little bit of Baal, and a little bit of Asherah and I'm sure many others. This is what we call syncretism when we're trying to meld these different religions together and just treat it as one one thing. I mean, it's quite like what we see in our culture today with the whole coexist bumper stickers. Now we need to be kind to people and we need to to respect them and honor them as image image bearers, but we don't get a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Buddha and a little bit of new age and a little bit of self-help, that's not Christianity. This kind of syncretism is crippling. It cripples your soul. And this is what the prophet, this is why he uses the word limping. He says you're limping around between these positions, it's crippling you. This syncretism is crippling your souls. Yet, they continued to play the game, just like we tend to do thinking that we're going to be the exception to the rule, that we can get away with a little bit of God and a little bit of you name it, some other idol. So let's look at this more specifically, this engaging in idolatry. Engaging in idolatry is insane because it changes us for the worse. As G.K. Beale has put it, he says, "Whatever you revere, you will resemble." for your restoration or for your ruin. Whatever you revere, you will resemble for restoration or for ruin. See, these people have been worshiping these false gods. False gods that cannot hear. They can't speak. They can't see. And the people were taking on the characteristics of this false god in the end of verse 21. It says when Elijah had said, "Quit going on limping between positions," it says the people did not answer him a word. Now, it didn't literally mean that they couldn't speak at that moment, but they were becoming like this idol that they worship. They had nothing to say. Psalm one fifteen lays this point or this um, uh, not point, but 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 this principle out clearly. Psalm 115 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths but can't speak, ears but can't hear, and those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. You think about it in the New Testament, how often did Jesus say, He who has ears, let him hear? And he's healing the blind and the deaf. And yes, he literally healed them, but that was pointing also to a spiritual reality. They were deaf and blind spiritually. That's what happens when we engage in idolatry. So these people were uh, worshiping made-up deities that had no life in and of themselves, and therefore they were losing their lives, their spiritual lives. Their spiritual senses were dull. And it's easy for us to think that we're clear on this because we're not, most of us, I don't think, we're we're not carving out these little idols and setting up makeshift temples like they were doing. It's easy to look at them and go, well, I'm not doing that. But what are we worshiping or revering other than God? God. What's something in our life that we've treasured so much that we have to have it, we will do anything to get it, and if we don't get it, we can't go on? What about money and greed? We want more money so that we can have security and more leisure, and we sacrifice more and more time with our family. Or we cheat a little bit on our taxes or make a little bit of money in some unrighteous manner, other unrighteous manner. And we become more and more spiritually deaf, blind, and dumb as we do that. What about sports? Believe me, I love sports. I was pumped a couple of weeks ago, College World Series. I was pumped. But here's the thing can we turn? Yes, we can turn sports into a god. I think sports are a great gift from the Lord, but what, what about when we do everything that we have to do to win at all cost, and we compromise, and we forget sportsmanship, and we forget Christ likeness? What if it becomes so important that we throw off a month of Sundays missing worship together where we're not coming together in corporate worship and we go out with another group of people and we're yelling and screaming, something that very closely resembles a worship service. And girls and boys, you're probably thinking, oh no, Josh, not technology again. But I gotta tell you, and this is for everybody, me included. I've had to think of this, but I think of y'all. The constant gazing at the screen. What does it do to your heart and your mind? Like, really think about it. I mean, we're fed these bite-sized clips of entertainment only to come away more distracted, more depressed, more anxious. We have more information and more entertainment in our pocket than we've ever had in the history of, of humanity. And yet we're more bored, and more confused, and more depressed than we've ever been. We're becoming what we behold for our ruin, just like Israel here. This is insanity. So idolatry—we become like our idols. Engaging in idolatry is insane because it's—it's just futile. It's pointless. See, Elijah told the people to make a decision. Choose this day whom you will worship. And there's only one true and living God. He's the one that answers by fire. And we see in verse 23 that they were to take a bull and they were to cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood but put no fire on it. And then we get down in verse 26 and you see that they prepared the bull and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, O Baal, answer us. And then we get these sobering words. But there was no voice and no one answered. I mean, think of the futility. These people had given their very lives to worship and to sacrifice to this God and now it's time to put up or shut up and here it is on the stage and nothing, nothing happens. You know, they had been worshiping this so-called storm God, and there's no rain for three years. Yet here they are, continuing to worship. It's amazing to me that they had not yet seen the impotence of Baal. He has no power. And this this kind of stuff it goes on today. I mean, I think of I think of people in the Mormon tabernacle right now. They're praying, they're singing, they're preaching. No answers. Jehovah's Witnesses down the street, they're going door to door, sharing their message, yet nothing. Talking to the ceiling. And it's easy to pick on them because their religion is built uh, on blatant untruth. It's, it's, It's clearly cult activity. But what about us? What about us? Have we concocted or crafted this Jesus in our own minds of what we think He is like or should be like, but not the Jesus that's based according to the Scriptures? Have we done this? Our God has revealed Himself to us in nature and he's revealed him to, uh, himself to us in the scriptures. He has told us what he is like. We cannot comprehend God, but we can apprehend God. We can know something about what he is like. He has revealed that to us. We cannot make up in our minds what he, we think he is like. And we are to worship him as according, uh, according to how he's revealed himself in the scriptures. He will not share the stage with idols. All other worship is futile. our attempts to control, our pride, our greed, our drunkenness, our gluttonous appetites, our fear of man, our desire for the praise of men, all these idols, will they answer your prayers? Can they save you? And the answer is no. Engaging in idolatry is insane because it demands our all. See, after the the false prophets' first failed attempt to summon Baal— with their pleading from morning till noon, Elijah begins to mock them. And that's not very PC in our, in our society today. According to our day, we're told that we can't tell anyone that a certain religion is wrong or, or, or their beliefs are wrong. Elijah did not go by the Oprah principle. He, he, he did not validate them in their sin. Now, I'm not saying go out and be a jerk. Don't. But it's okay to say, this is the truth. Here is the truth. The one true and living God. And that's what Elijah was doing here. And he, cried, he says, keep crying out. Maybe, maybe Baal is just musing somewhere. Maybe he's using the bathroom. Maybe he's asleep and we need to wake him up. And then they started doubling down. They started crying out louder and louder. And then they started cutting themselves and spilling their blood thinking that this act of devotion would bring about an answer from Baal. Idols will always demand your all. They they, they will demand everything from you, even if it means spilling your own blood. But it's such a sad display. In verse 29, we say, As midday passed, they raved on and on till the time of the offering, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. We see that again. Nothing. Nothing. And this is the insanity of idolatry. These people are deaf, blind, and dumb. They have become like the idols they worship. They're engaging in meaningless worship. It avails them nothing but heaps up more and more wrath for themselves in the day of judgment. And now they are literally spilling their blood for an answer. Idols promise big, but they don't pay off they have no power to pay off what they promise. They promise life, but in the end, they only take it from you. And I just want to ask, do you see this in your life with your idols? I mean, when will we wake up to the fact that our idols are literally killing us? Just personal experience here. I remember the first time this was pre-Christ, The first time I took a pain pill, it was like I found the missing ingredient in life. I had this social anxiety or so I thought and I couldn't deal with people in public and and I also had guilt and shame that I wanted to cover up and these things did the trick. They promised me life. And do you think that's what they gave me? No. No. Every day from the time I woke up until the time I went to sleep, that's all I thought about was getting more. I lost friends. I lost health and time that I can never get back. And I think this is just textbook idolatry. Those things, they, are, they, they weren't there for me. They weren't answering my prayers. They had no ability to save me. Yet I kept giving in hopes that it would give in return, but for God's grace, they would have taken my soul. Some in here, your pursuit of social status or money, it's cost you relationships. You've had to compromise in areas that you know is wrong, but you've compromised to gain some, some, uh, move some steps up in the social pipeline. And what is it brought you happiness? I guarantee you it hadn't. You know, some are holding on to hatred for something that's been done to you. And I don't want to lessen the, you know, the the fact that you've been hurt, but, but it feels good in those moments to withhold love from that other person, doesn't it? It feels good to hate that person and gossip about that person as if you're exacting payment from them, yet they're living rent-free in your head. And then kids, again, the allure of being the great influencer, the Instagram famous, it's strong in our day, and you will spend hours upon hours getting the perfect shot, the perfect filter, just for a few hits of dopamine. And, and, and we will neglect time with people that are present with us. So no, we're not literally cutting ourselves to get answers from false deities, but we're throwing away time that we'll never get back. We're throwing away time with the Lord in His Word that we could be spending there with Him. We're throwing away time with the Lord in prayer, fellowship with the saints, for this fake friendship. Idols demand your all. And remember, though idols are dead, the one behind all idols is Satan. And he has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's exactly what he's doing. That's what he was doing to these people right here. The prophets of Baal had their chance. They poured themselves out trying to get an answer and there was only silence. And so now it's Elijah's turn. Now it's time to see the one true and living God, the vitality of the Lord and His willingness to give life. See, Elijah summons all the people after they had their shot; like it, it, it was their time to put up or shut up, and uh, Baal shut up. And so there was nothing, nothing there. And so he calls all the people and he says, "You come close." And he repairs the altar with the twelve stones, as if to remind the people, "This is who you are. You are Israel." And God is your God. So he puts together the stones, I mean the the altar uh, with the 12 stones representing the tribes of Israel. And then he goes through a little more extensive process than just cutting the bull and laying it on. In verses 33 through 35, we see that he cut the bull up and then he digs a trench around And then he says, get four jars of water and dump it on there. Not once, not twice, but three times. I don't know if you've ever tried to light a fire with wet wood. It don't work. And I can hardly light one with, you know, good wood out there. But he said, put it on there. I want you to know this is not a fluke. Like you can set all the cards, set the whole deck against God, and he will come through. Nothing can stop him. He was confident in the Lord's power. And look at the Lord, ready and willing to answer prayer for a display of His glory and the good of His people. In verse 36 it says, "'And at the time of the offering of oblation, "'Elijah came near and said, "'O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, "'let it be known this day that you're the God of Israel, "'and that I'm your servant, "'and that I've done all these things at your word. "'Answer me, O Lord, Answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back, turned their hearts back. And only the living God can answer prayer. And we saw that in chapter 17, Elijah's praying, the Lord hears and he acts according to his will, for his glory. Elijah is crying out to the Lord according to the Lord's will and the Lord acts the living God he is ready and willing to show mercy and to punish the wicked when you think about this scene after the prophets of Baal had done all their thing that would have been interesting enough to watch them hooting and hollering and run around and cut themselves and after this everybody's quiet and Elijah prays to the Lord can you imagine everybody sitting there waiting for what was going to happen Surely everybody was waiting there with bated breath. And Elijah just cried out to the Lord to rain down fire and to wet this offering. And in verse 38 it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and he licked up all the water that was in the trench. There was nothing left. Absolutely nothing left. I mean the blaze was so intense that nothing could, could stop this blaze from consuming and incinerating everything in its path. And it's easy to think about this story and go, wow, that's pretty cool. But here's the mystery of all mysteries. Why didn't the fire fall on the people? Why didn't it fall on idol-worshiping Israel? Why did the flame not fall on them? Was it not them that were partaking in idol worship? Isn't the fury of God's wrath stored up for people like that, for people like us? Yet here we see the Lord displaying his wrath and mercy all at once because it's the sacrifice that's consumed. And the people responded by falling on their faces and proclaiming, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let none of them escape, and they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. So the people of God received the mercy of God as the fire was poured out on the sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal, they received justice. They were slain for their idolatry and they're leading others astray. It was promised in the Old Testament if a prophet prophesies in the name of the Lord and they're, they're, they're doing this, um, if they're committing false prophecy, they would be killed. And so here we see they're slaughtered. And, and, and we need to have some sober reflection as we close out, have some sober reflection on this. None of us in this room deserves God's mercy. I don't deserve God's mercy, I don't deserve God's grace, yet we're here, right? We deserve for the fire to fall upon us, yet we're here. Because we know that the Son of God came, took on flesh, and not one day did he practice any form of idolatry. Never did he practice syncretism. The Son of God loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. His joy and his pleasure was to do what pleased the Father. His business was about the Father's business. Always obedient to him, loving him with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we know he went to the cross on another mount. Not Mount Carmel, but Calvary taking our sin upon himself and the full torrent of God's wrath was poured out on him instead of us. The payment was accepted and we know this because he rose from the dead. This proves our justification. And all who come to Jesus, all who come to him in faith, resting in his finished work, receiving him by faith, will be spared like the Israelites were on Carmel. And this is a great display of God's mercy and grace and it ought to cause us to fall on our faces and say the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And I, lo- I love, as I was preparing for this, Matthew Henry, he brought up this point, you know, at, at this point in the history of Israel, uh, in this drought with this severe famine, their greatest need appeared to be what? Water. It was a need. Sure, they needed it. Their greatest need was not water. Their greatest need was God's mercy and His grace. And in the same way with us, we think that this one thing we have out there that's our greatest need, if we just get that, everything will be okay. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, if you have Jesus Christ, your greatest need is met. You need nothing else. If you have Christ, you have everything. Everything. I need to be reminded of this. Christina's not in here, but tell her to remind me of this. And Paul reminds us in Romans 15, verse 4, he says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So don't put these Old Testament stories off to the side and think that's for these other people. Those things were written for us. And so... We cannot, brothers and sisters, we cannot walk out of these doors another day without giving thought to the crippling effect of idolatry in our lives and turning from it, turning to Christ. You know, we have to deal with the question that Elijah asked the people of his day. We have to deal with this question, how long are we going to go on limping between these two positions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And here's the thing, we know he's God. He's redeemed us. He's opened our eyes to the truth. We weren't on Mount Carmel, but we know that the fire that we deserved fell on the true sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the one whom all other sacrifices pointed to. And my encouragement and my hope and prayer is that that truth would captivate us and encourage us all to run the race that's set before us, knowing that we've been forgiven and cleansed of all of our sin. And we will no longer be crippled by idolatry, but healed by grace. Let's pray. Um, dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Um, may you make these truths um, cemented in our hearts, Lord. Help us to revere you more than your gifts, more than anything in this creation, Lord, revere you and worship you alone. We love you in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last hymn. after the prayer, um, just have a seat if you would, and Gene uh, Stansel is going to come up and give us a report from the General Assembly. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you so much again for letting us come here and worship you. Thank you for redeeming us. Um, thank you for uh, Jesus, for you taking the fire that we deserve, Lord, and uh, help us to live in that reality each day. Um, help us to go out and to glorify you in all things. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated.
5: To uh, our guest, I want to tell you that nothing I say is proprietary, uh, so uh, uh, you know, I'm just giving as open as, uh, as my thoughts are about the General Assembly. Um, many of you, I've already heard, have listened to some of the proceedings of the Assembly. Uh, you watched it on television or on the feed that uh, uh, Richard gave you. Uh, and if you want to, you can go back right now and listen to every bit of it. Uh, you can go to PCA 2021 20, General Assembly on Livestream, or you can go by faithonline.com, and uh, it, it might be a good thing for you to do this if you so wish. <clears throat> what I want to do is kind of tell you uh, my general impressions of the General Assembly. Uh, it's complicated. It's not an easy thing. Um, there had been no assembly last year, and so all of the uh, uh, commissioners there to the assembly, <laughs> they wanted to talk to each other and they wanted to talk. Uh, so uh, it, it's like they'd been pin up uh, for a year and a half and now uh, they wanted to. And uh, uh, the PCA elders, um, I want to tell you, wholeheartedly uh, embrace The underpinnings of our confession. Uh, There is no liberal theology that I have seen in the PCA. I have not seen it ever uh, as long as I have been in uh, the PCA. No uh, liberal theology trends. There may be some differences in the way that we express our orthodoxy, but it's all keeping within the bounds of Scripture uh, and our polity. There is no such thing as a liberal in a PCA. I think that's uh, one thing you ought to really uh, digest because our culture has changed so much uh, in Christian denominations. Uh, I'll say all of our um, conversation uh, there was uh, faithful to the motto of the PCA, which is faithful to the scripture true to the reformed faith, obedient to the great commission of Jesus Christ. That motto was, um, it was repeated many, many times by what I would call both sides. Understanding that there is no liberal and conservative side, it's all within uh, a, uh, a, a, a dependence on the scripture, but with different understandings of how we express our faith. Uh, there was a record attendance at the assembly, over 2,100 commissioners, the largest that the assembly has ever had. Uh, there are 88 presbyteries in the PCA, 1,930 congregations, uh, 5,100 pastors, 380,000 members, and I think that we have the largest number of military chaplains. We have over 300 Uh, military chaplains, many of whom spoke uh, at the uh, assembly on various of these uh, uh, issues. Let me tell you first of all, if you follow what's going on in the PCA or in other denominations, don't believe everything that you hear uh, or read on the internet. Uh, There are some issues that are just contrary uh, to the truth. For example, Uh, It's been said that there are some PCA pastors who desire to ordain practicing homosexuals. That allegation is just not so. There were none there that I have ever seen that want to ordain practicing homosexuals. And some critics allege that, uh, that there are other people in the PCA who do not hold firmly to our confession of faith and our confession standards. Uh, That is contrary to any rumor that I've ever heard. Uh, These are godly men, and uh, they hold strongly to our confessional standards. Some critics allege that the issue of homosexuality uh, has caused many, this is the the language that I've heard, has caused many congregations uh, to leave the PCA in droves and that it may well cause a split in the PCA. I witnessed none of that. uh, And uh, I I think that uh, because you are members of this denomination, uh, that you should know that too. My general impressions were that that, uh, uh, churches are being planted uh, all over the whole footprint of the PCA. And even through the pandemic of last year, There were churches that were started. Um, Men and women are entering the mission field from the PCA uh, in large numbers. Uh, It's the largest numbers uh, of full-time missionaries in the PCA of any Presbyterian denomination in history. Uh, RUF is thriving. Uh, The reports on RUF were all extremely positive. We have healthy churches, I don't mean financially healthy, I'm sure some smaller churches are not financially healthy, but uh, all of our churches are healthy in their theology and in dealing with uh, issues that have not been addressed in the past. The culture has changed so much in the last year and a half that now there are issues that are brought to the full floor and brought to the General Assembly that we've never had to deal with before. So that was what I think made this particular uh, assembly uh, very important uh, for the work of the church. For those of you who need to be reminded, we have a in, in line of authority in the church. We have our local session. We have our presbytery. And then every year, the General Assembly meets on issues that the presbyteries cannot uh, uh, totally define. Um, In the general work of the assembly, they right off the bat affirmed the National uh, Nashville Statement, and it was written by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. It was presented at the 47th uh, uh, assembly, and it was finally approved on this assembly. And I invite you to go back and read that statement that this church has adopted uh, on biblical manhood and womanhood. Uh, It answers a lot of rumors and a lot of questions. Um, There was a worship service every day of the assembly, which is uh, an extreme um, highlight, I think, uh, of the assembly. The former Uh, a moderator of the assembly preaches and then two other uh, ministers preach. So we had three worship services and uh, uh, the music in all was a combination of old hymns and new hymns uh, and the worship services were really great. Uh, The assembly heard reports. It's kind of broken down like this. First of all, there are reports from all of the agencies of the church. They report to the General Assembly. Uh, and so we heard those reports like on Ridgehaven and Covenant Seminary. Uh, by the way, uh, the, at this assembly, there was a new president of Covenant uh, Seminary. Uh, that's the PCA Seminary in St. Louis. Uh, and There's an outgoing president, Mark Dalby, who had been there for 18 years, I think, or a number of years, and had done a wonderful job with uh, uh, the growth of Covenant Seminary. Uh, I put it in extremely good financial shape, and they just have uh, raised, uh, uh, I can't tell you that, I would tell you the wrong amount if I did, Uh, but they have raised money for refurbishing of the seminary. Uh, The new president of, uh, of Covenant Seminary is Tom Gibbs. And uh, as you know, uh, we have a, a son-in-law who is a professor there in, in Greek and New Testament at Covenant Seminary. And so he answered the right question and we got to play golf the day before the assembly with both the outgoing president of Covenant and the incoming president of Covenant uh, Seminary. and. Uh, That was was very uh, interesting and glorifying. Um, uh, We heard reports on the PCA Foundation, on the PCA Retirement and Benefits, and uh, on the Committee of Commissioners uh, to the Assembly. Uh, The Assembly approved certain overtures. Um, Several of them had to do with boundary changes in in, uh, presbyteries. Uh, which is really just perfunctory, uh, but it needs to be approved by the assembly. Uh, there was one interesting overture, I think, that was approved very quickly, and that was assistant pastors. Uh, don't, they can be elected by the congregations uh, to the position of associate pastor without the election of a pulpit committee. Uh, that really kind of speeds things up, and that's happened a, a number of times Uh, with the Presbytery's approval. Uh, They rejected overtures uh, to make study committees on ethics uh, in dealing with uh, digital media, uh, on white supremacy, on critical race theory. They rejected uh, those um, uh, overtures to have study committees. Uh, What happens uh, in the General Assembly is when an issue issue comes up, and it's uh, understood that the assembly can't handle that issue in one year, what they'll do is they'll call a a special committee that'll work all year long and report back to the next assembly. Well, those are very, very expensive, and as you can imagine, uh, uh, smaller churches, they want direction on some of these issues. But uh, because of the expense, the time involved, and the matter of fact that some of these uh, issues uh, you you know just as well as the assembly would come up with answers to uh, things like that. So they rejected uh, those actual study committees and I don't think uh, in my remembrance I don't think there was a study committee uh, that was approved for this next year which I think is really good. I saw three main issues uh, that were dealt with and they were primarily changes to the Book of Church Order. Uh, And the first one, the first main issue, was the one that uh, Richard covered in an email to the congregation uh, the day after, I think, uh, uh, the the committee um, was called to, uh, was dismissed. And it is the men in the, uh, who are officers in the church who self-identify as same-sex attracted or gay Christians or homosexual Christians or any like terms like that are not qualified for ordination in the PCA. Now you're dealing with words that have different meanings, but this is when their identification is in some of those sexual, deviant sexual issues. If that's their main identification, and their identification is not in Christ, then the, the language of the change that is projected uh, in the book of church order is that they're not uh, going to be qualified for uh, office in the PCA. Now, Richard covered that pretty well. And uh, I I want to tell you, some of you know that there was a revoice conference uh, that came out of a church, a PCA church in uh, St. Louis. It's been several years now. The issue was not about revoice. They rejected uh, uh, taking over uh, that whole issue. Um, you can read about that if you want to. I don't need to explain it unless you have a question later on. Uh, but it, the change was not about that, but that is one of the things that brought about uh, the whole issue that was brought before the assembly. Uh, here's something else that happens uh, In the assembly's work, some people don't understand how the assembly works. There are rules for the assembly, just as there are rules for congregational meetings. Uh, We have a book of church order that explains everything that goes on in the church. There are also rules for the assembly that explains how the assembly is to be done. And a lot of people, uh, I think in the pews, uh, don't understand how that is. There is a committee on overtures and one presbytery can bring an overture to the General Assembly. And as a matter of fact, on this sexual issue, there were several uh, uh, presbyteries that offered um, changes to the Book of Church Order. Covenant Presbytery that we're in offered um, one, one of those overtures And uh, in our presbytery, we decided that there were going to be enough people in the the church that were going to be talking about the issue that we didn't need to be a little covenant presbytery, you know, sending up an overture to the General Assembly. Well, the main overture that was accepted was the one from Gulf Coast Presbytery, I think it's in Florida. And they had a very simple overture. But when the overture goes to the Committee on Overtures, and there are some 100 and maybe 120 commissioners that are involved in that. They take those issues, massage them, they don't syncretize them, they bring them together and they issue what they think is a good overture to be brought to the floor of the assembly, okay? So the the, the overture that was sent by Gulf Coast Uh, Presbytery was changed quite a bit. It had some language that was a little bit uh, uh, more um, helpful, I think, but I think it also needs uh, uh, more, um, it it needs more work, but here's what's going to happen. Those overtures that passed and this overture passed, as Richard told you in his thing, and he gave you the, the figures. It, it, uh, it passed rather handily, over 70%. But that leaves 30% that didn't agree with the overture on, uh, on, um, that I just mentioned about sexuality and uh, gender dysphoria and those things. Uh, it's going to take a year. Those overtures that are voted on And approved by the assembly, have to go back to the churches, and all year long those overtures will be discussed in the separate presbyteries. If all of the presbyteries pass those by two thirds majority, uh, which it, uh, you know, this overture may not pass by two thirds majority, but if it does, then it goes back to the next General Assembly, the 49th General Assembly. And if approved there, uh, then it becomes a, a change in the book of church order. So it's going to be an interesting uh, year discussing those things. Now, let me tell you again, biblically, biblically there is no divergent of, divergence of opinion uh, on on the the theological issues. None. It's going to be because there are many ministries in the PCA, because culture has changed so much. There are many issues in the PCA that have complicated, uh, uh, you can't believe how much younger people in college and in high school have strong, strong feelings uh, for people who have gender dysphoria or who have racial issues. And so in ministering and the churches attempting to minister, especially RUF and many churches in urban settings, uh, they want to get it right. And uh, I don't know if this uh, overture is right. Uh, or not. I have it for you if you want to read it. Uh, I'll, I'll give, it, give you a copy of it if you want that. The main issue number two I saw well, had to do with ministers or missionaries who are laboring out of bounds of presbytery and the, uh, the assembly says they must have the oversight of a presbytery uh, or of an ordained PCA teaching elder. Now you get on mission field and, uh, and they're interested, Mission missionaries are interested in presenting the gospel and saving souls. Uh, they're not interested a whole lot in organization and what you believe. But some of these ministers and missionaries who are laboring out of bounds, and we have several in covenant presbytery, uh, they go on the mission field and they may be under a mission Uh, 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 a mission group that does not have the same um, orientation that we have as uh, Reformed Christians. And they are very effective and we have people that are called into those groups. Well, what this says is that anybody laboring as a missionary has to be under the authority of the church. There's a line of authority that was discussed and uh, I think that that may have some um, that that'll be discussed too this next year, because RUF, for example, uh, has a very straight structure. But many women in the in the RUF are doing fantastic work on these campuses, and so they're setting up. Uh, some positions of authority uh, that uh, may not be under the direct authority of uh, of a PCA ordained minister, so it 's oversight and control and uh, and uh, authority is what uh, what that main issue has to do with. Um, we heard from many missionaries on the field, for example, chaplains come under that too uh, chaplains uh, you know their their main uh, authority is the uh, is US, U.S. government, and, uh, and they have to follow that while being in, in line with our confession. So uh, it's a complicated issue, number two, but it's an issue of authority. The third main issue I saw was it clarifies the moral requirements for church officers, and it would be a change to the book of church order. Uh, they wanted to add, this was a minority report, not a majority report from the Committee on, commis- uh, on Overtures, but it was a minority report and they wanted to add, or it was approved that we add a whole section, uh, uh, 21-4-E of the questions that were to be asked of ordinance. Um, it, before, the very simple thing was, that uh, uh, the ministers, elders in the church would be above reproach. Now, that's pretty simple to me, is that uh, our elders are above reproach morally. But it's very, very complex when you try to understand what that means. And so this... Uh, overture and the change to to the book of church order would be specifically uh, putting more weight on sexual identity. Um, I mean, come come on, we know what a brother approach is And, uh, and that's the first line of defense of the church is our session and to me all of those things need to be under sessional control uh, so that the session makes those determinations in the very first place, but uh, again, it's because culture has changed so much that uh, some presbyteries wanted some specific uh, issues there. For example, I mean, I deal with greed. You got to sin. You deal with greed. Uh, you know. So uh, uh, if you are a person. Who deals with some specific sin? What this overture is saying to me is that a sexual sin is much, much more important than greed, adultery, avarice, uh, you know, you name them. Uh, so I think that uh, it, it brings up complicated issues. It is not all straightforward, but in the end, in the end, any of these three issues are dealt with in-house and they are not as a matter of uh, um, giving up our theology. Uh, So now I'll answer one or two questions. I know we have a um, Sunday school here. So if you have a question that you'd like to ask me, I'll be glad to give you my opinion. Well, let me just close with prayer. Father, we're grateful for the structure that you have provided for us. We're thankful that uh, this church is not without sin, but we know the answer uh, to our sin. And uh, as we heard in our sermon this morning, um, Lord, it's, um, it's a heart of confession that we should be developing as a church. Uh, we pray that we won't be proud of uh, what this church has accomplished uh, in its uh, overall assemblies. And we're very thankful for the way that has gone. Uh, and we're glad that, um, Lord, we're not, we're not discussing theological issues that would really be divisive for our church we pray that you would strengthen us in the faith and that you would help us uh, as we go forward uh, to be identified more as Christians who love the Lord and who seek to do his will rather than by any other moniker we pray that you'd dismiss us now in Christ's name amen